Hello, everyone. It's May 28th. It's a new day, and all the more to be thankful for as we make fresh discoveries of God's goodness and grace shown to us in so many different ways. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm happy to serve as your guide as we make our way through the calendar year with its particular seasons reading the Bible. In case you noticed that my voice sounded a bit rough and rasp and that I sounded as if I had a head cold, I assure you I am simply bearing the signs of spring in my body as it responds to the many pollens of the New England grass, flora, and tree foliage. The beauty of the delicate tree branches with its buds and blossoms helps me put up with any congestion I may feel. The restoration of the bright colors to the landscape make the endurance of these allergies worthwhile, so please bear with me. We are in the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament and the Gospel of John in the New Testament. The domestic dramas in the house of David continue in 2 Samuel, and we eavesdrop on Jesus' heart-to-heart conversation with his Father in heaven in what is called his high priestly prayer prior to his arrest in Gethsemane. Sexual immorality becomes epidemic in the house of David after his sin with Bathsheba. We read of the incestuous rape of David's daughter Tamar by his son Amnon. This gives rise to bloodshed as his son Absalom takes vengeance on the wrong done to his sister by his brother. The plot thickens as we read on, so let's go to chapter 13 of Second Samuel. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will use this time that we have together in your word to instruct us, to counsel us, to guide us. And most of all, Father, we pray that through your word you would reveal to us the glory of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Show us, Father, how much we need him and also his all-sufficient grace. We ask that you will illuminate our understanding by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I am reading from the English Standard Version, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. 
And Amnon said, Let out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore please speak to the king, for he would not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on their way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead. 
for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom, because he was comforted about Amnon, since he was dead. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament passage from Second Samuel. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. In the introduction of today's story of Amnon's lustful rape of his half-sister Tamar, Absalom's name is mentioned. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. This is because the next section of Second Samuel, chapters 13 through 19, tells the story of Absalom's attempt to usurp the throne of his father David. Tamar was Absalom's sister. Both Tamar and Absalom were both noted for their physical beauty. Chapter 13, verse 1, and chapter 14, verse 25. Their mother was Maaka, the royal princess whom David married from the house of Talmai and Geshur, most likely to make peace with the small Aramean kingdom near the Sea of Galilee. The fact that Absalom had both a royal father and mother most likely inspired his ambition to be king in place of his father. The virgin princesses were kept secluded in their own quarters, separated from their male relatives, so in many ways Tamar, even though a half-sister, was not well known to Amnon. The sight of Tamar fueled Amnon's lust, and he desired to have her. He confused lust with love. Amnon should have known better than to entertain an abnormal desire for his half-sister. True love will always seek the best for another and would not violate their body or cause them to disobey the law of God. The law of God gives standards for sexual purity, forbidding intimate relationships with the next of kin. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 22 and Leviticus chapter 18 verses 9 through 11. Amnon was David's oldest son, heir to the throne, and perhaps he thought he could get away with his sin with his royal privilege. After all, his father, King David, seemed to get away with his adultery and murder. Jonadab, Amnon's cousin, the son of David's brother Shammah, otherwise known as Shemaiah, proves that he is no real friend by suggesting that Amnon deceives his father and sister into believing that he is sick and needs Tamar's personal and private attention. This sets up the situation in which Amnon forcibly rapes Tamar. After the act, Amnon's lust turns to hatred, he sends her away. He despises her, possibly because she reminds him of his own shame. This puts Tamar in a dreadful situation. Because she had lost her virginity, she could no longer return to the apartments of the virgin princesses and was no longer a desirable candidate for marriage. Who would take her in? Her brother Absalom hears of this and is outraged. He provides a place for Tamar in his house and tells her to be quiet. She most likely wanted to tell the king, but Absalom tells her to wait. Most likely, he is thinking of how he could take revenge and kill Amnon and put himself into the position of being next in line to the throne. He discourages her from taking immediate action, saying, He is your brother. 
Absalom was trying to avoid a public scandal that would hinder his attempt to seize the throne. King David became angry when he heard about this, but does not deal with the situation or speak with Amnon. Neither does Absalom in chapter 13 verses 22 and 23. They go underground with their anger and hatred. We see a pattern of continual dysfunction within the family. Tamar has been wronged. As Tamar exclaimed, Amnon has done a disgraceful thing. Where can she go with her shame? 2 Samuel chapter 13 verse 13. Tragically, all her relatives fail her. Tamar was defiled and cast off by a son of David. The true son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come to bear her shame. On the cross, he took sin's defilement, reproach, and punishment. He does not fail us. He was cast off for us. He embraces our suffering. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. No one should suffer the abuse that Tamar suffered. In this Genesis 3 world, all are vulnerable. May we never be indifferent or silent when we witness abuse. David's inaction should spur us to action. David's silence should spur us to speak. Our sin, like Amnon's sin, is uncalled for. Both Amnon and Absalom put self-interest ahead of selfless concern for their sister. This story makes us thankful that in Jesus we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a true brother who is born for adversity. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, and chapter 17, verse 17. Two years later, Absalom, seeking revenge, invites his family to join his father David for the sheep-shearing celebrations. David turns down the invitation, but sends his sons, including Amnon. Absalom orders his men to strike down Amnon when he is in high spirits from drinking wine at the feast. When they kill Amnon, the other brothers flee for their lives. A rumor reaches David that Absalom had killed all his sons. David and all his servants tear their clothes in grief. Jonadab, the one who concocted Amnon's scheme to violate Tamar, tells David not to be concerned about the report, clarifying, only Amnon is dead. Absalom flees to Geshur and stays there for three years. David and his other surviving sons grieve. Eventually David comes out of mourning and longs to go to Absalom. We will continue this story tomorrow. Now let's go to the New Testament reading in John chapter 17. The High Priestly Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, 
and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. This is the Lord's Prayer. It is Jesus' high priestly prayer made before he goes to the altar of the cross to offer his sinless life as a perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. As Jesus concludes the Passover meal and his discourse in the upper room in John chapters 14 through 16, his disciples are witnesses to this remarkable prayer. It is the longest prayer that our Lord offered during his public ministry. Matthew Henry writes, It is the most remarkable prayer following the most full and consoling discourse ever uttered on earth. There are petitions here that could be offered by none other than the perfect mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. In John chapter 17, the veil is turned aside and we go with the high priest into the holiest of all. On the ground of his perfect work of redemption, Jesus makes his request for the full benefit of his glorification to come upon the church. The word glory is used eight times in this prayer. Jesus lived to glorify his Father while in his incarnate state. In this prayer, Jesus asked that his pre-incarnate glory be restored. 
Jesus recognizes that in his hour, his appointed time, he will have finished the work that he came to do. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. John chapter 17, verse 4. His work included his miracles and teachings in John chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, revealing the nature and power of God as the Messiah, training the disciples for future service, and most importantly, accomplishing the work of redemption by his sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 18. Based on the finished work of Christ, we can have eternal life. Jesus laid down his life that we might have life. He defines life. This is eternal life, he says in John 17, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It is not enough to know about Jesus. What he did on the cross was to make it possible for us to be born again and to know God personally. Eternal life is a gift that we receive when we admit that we are sinners, repent of our sin, and believe on Jesus Christ and His atoning work on the cross for our sins. In Christ alone, our hope is found. The word Father is used 122 times in the Gospel of John, 53 times in this episode with the disciples on the Passover in the Gospel of John chapters 13-17. through 17. We learn more about the work of Christ through reading this prayer. Jesus revealed the name that is the nature of God the Father. He is praying for all those who will come to trust on His saving work in John chapter 17, verse 20. These are the elect of God. These are the ones the Father has given to the Son for His purposes, and the Son gives back those whom He was keeping to the Father. He also prays for all those down through the centuries that will believe on the gospel. We learn of His preserving power. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. John chapter 17, verse 12. We also learn that it is God's plan to sanctify the elect through the ministry of the word. In John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. His prayer is that all believers would recognize and exhibit what they miraculously have in common, the life of Christ, that they may be one in fellowship with the Godhead, just as Jesus is one with the Father and the Spirit. This manifestation of God's life in a loving community of oneness is the greatest apologetic, the greatest demonstration of the veracity of the gospel. John chapter 17, verse 23. Jesus describes the intended outcome of the cross, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. John chapter 17, verse 26. He who died for us rose from the dead to live in us. He thereby multiplies through us the love the Father has for His perfect, beloved Son. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, where we are in Psalm 119, and we will begin reading in verse 81. The next section of eight verses, verses 81 through 89, all begin with the Hebrew letter Kaf. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? 
the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They did not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The next eight verses all begin with the Hebrew letter Lamed. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In the first section of eight verses, all beginning with the Hebrew letter Kaf, the psalmist highlights the fact that those who love and obey God's word are often despised and persecuted by those who don't. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. Psalm 119, verse 86. We come across an intriguing phrase in verse 83. Though I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your statutes. In the times of the psalmist, winemakers would place new wine into new wineskins, hang the wineskins on a rope, and then expose them to medium-hot smoke so that the wine would mature, purify, and become more palatable to those who drank it. In the context of the psalm, we can understand that David was recognizing that his trials had put a smokescreen over his eyes, blinding him and making him fearful for his life. He was disoriented and weary, but he was also inferring to the fact that God was allowing these trials, this smoke, to do a maturing and purifying work in him for his namesake. In this sense, God was the winemaker and was sovereign over all the smoke, using it to advance his purposes and glory and for the psalmist's good. The Lamed section, Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96, highlights the enduring nature and preserving power of God's Word. Because God's Word is eternal, it is eternally relevant. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89. Now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and we'll be reading Proverbs chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The first half of verse 6 speaks of atonement for sin, and the second half speaks of avoidance of sin. The first half points to the finished work of Christ on the cross as one that atones for our sins by perfectly satisfying the desires of God's heart for both mercy and truth, that is, loving kindness and truth. The second half points to the benefit of recognizing God for who He is. The fear of the Lord will steer us away from evil. Verse 7 reminds us that a God-pleasing life is also disarming to His enemies. Let's pray. 
Lord, teach us what is on your heart. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, that we may know you. We rely on your Spirit and your Word to teach us and direct us. Help us to truly love our brothers and sisters and not become accomplices in their sins. Help us to deal with situations biblically and not cover up, excuse, or condone habitual sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the priest who made a once-and-for-all perfect sacrifice to remove our guilt and that you ever live to make intercession for us. We want to pray what is on your prayer list and to hold dear the things that you hold dear. We ask, Lord, that you draw the lost to your Son and may the ministry of the gospel be fruitful here and around the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that concludes our Bible reading for today, May 28th, and God willing, we'll be continuing tomorrow. Isn't it encouraging to know that our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has us on his heart and ever lives to make intercession for us? Well, if you have any questions or comments you'd like to write us, you can contact us by email by writing podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can visit our website, newlife.org, where you can also subscribe to a written commentary of each day's reading. So may you be filled with his joy to overflowing.